Hi, everyone, and thanks for tuning in to another episode of A Call to Lead. Today's guest is a great leader and, more importantly, a close friend. Julie Sweet is the group CEO of Accenture North America. Accenture has nearly 500,000 employees around the world. Accenture and SAP work closely together, so I've had the good fortune to work closely with Julie over the last several years. In today's episode, we'll talk about the business Julie leads, what she's seeing and hearing from today's CEOs and boards, and we'll also hear about Julie's non-conventional career path and some of the bold jumps she's made along the way. I admire her leadership style and her actionable advice. It's refreshing and insightful. I hope you enjoy it, and as always, please continue to share your feedback with me. You're listening to A Call to Lead, a different kind of leadership podcast. Brought to you by SAP, the world's largest provider of enterprise application software. SAP engineers solutions to help companies become best-run businesses by transforming industries, growing economies, lifting up societies, and sustaining our environment. Because it's the best-run businesses that make the world run better. And now, your host, Jennifer Morgan. I am here today in Miami with my good friend, Julie Sweet. You're the CEO of Accenture North America. You chair the the technology committee on the business roundtable. You're a most powerful woman, but more than anything, you're an amazing person and friend. So thanks for talking to me today. Thanks for having me. This is so much fun. I, I remember when I started my journey as the CEO of North America, you were one of my first meetings and I felt as soon as I met you, like we were friends, we were going to be great friends, and I think the last four years um, have proven, you know, that instinct was right. We've well, I don't time. think we talked business at all that first meeting. We we talked everything but business in the last four minutes, and that's something. That and then we said we're going to do a lot in the market together, and that's what we did. We did. We did. We did. I love it. I love it. Okay, so. You are, as a CEO, you're talking to the C-suite all the time. You're talking to CEOs and boards across so many different companies and industries. And there's so much going on in business right now in the economy. What are some of the things you're hearing about from your clients? What's top of mind? I think the most important thing right now is that it does feel like we're at an inflection point. In the last four years, there's been a lot of investments in digital. And you've seen, you know, use cases and business units. And now what CEOs are saying is, okay, technology, core of our strategy, we've been doing this, we now need to scale. How do we do that, right? Because it's very different. If you take data, for example, you can take any use case and like clean up the data. But when you start saying, I want to use artificial intelligence across the entire enterprise, you have to have a data strategy. And most companies don't. Mm-hmm. And so it's really now about everyone gets it, technology's at the core, there's much more of a level playing field from that perspective, so how am I gonna leave my competitors behind? Mm-hmm. And that's the big conversation, and it is leading to different you know, different ways of thinking about investments, mm-hmm. and, uh, and really actually a different knowledge set for the CEO. Mm, how so? Well, when you're doing, you know, these business cases or business units, you can say, I'm not gonna solve some things. When you start talking about saying, I wanna move, you know, on average today, 10 to 15% of the enterprise is in the cloud, you know, a few industries ahead of time. When you start saying, well, I actually need to move mostly to the cloud. I now need a data strategy across the board. I need a new ERP platform that's a big investment, you know, something near and dear to your heart. Those are CEO level discussions. And a lot of those topics have been a little bit still the plumbing, right? And now it's a very different strategic investment and discussion um, at the C-suite. 
So is it fair to say technology where it used to kind of support the business strategy now, it's driving what you can do differently? That is definitely the macro trend. If you look at the last five years, the big trend has been the shift from technology, being the enabler, being the plumbing, being a cost center, to now firmly in the core of the business strategy and the view that it will change how every part of the enterprise operates as well as what the enterprise does, the how and the what. And that shift has significant implications for investment and for what the CEO and their leadership team have to think about. That's a fun fun place to be right now. It's a great place to be. All right, so Accenture, you guys have around half half a million employees. Is that right? Almost 500,000 employees? Yes, almost 500,000 employees. That's incredible. So I started my career at, at the time Anderson Consulting, which is now Accenture. Met my husband there, so near and dear to my heart. One of the things I remember, Julie, is coming out of college, they take you, they... They trained me, they taught me, you know, how to communicate, how to learn, how to present, just all the things that still serve me so well. And I see companies today really trying to get that secret sauce to enable their new employees to continue to grow uh, the existing talent. That seems to me something that Accenture does very, very well. Talk to me about learning and how important that is for all of your employees today. Well, uh, you know, you're you're remembering correctly in terms of that's always been you know since we've been around that focus particularly when you know kids came in from campus right i think what's changed and what you would find is different is that that focus on communication and learning is now continuous so if you take the top leaders at accenture and you ask how many of them taken training in the last 12 months it'll be a hundred percent really because we're in a very different environment that if you just think about how much technology's changed right so all of us as leaders have to continuously learn so we've retooled our learning organization to move from sort of a entry level and then milestone learning to continuous learning and enabling our employees to do that. So so continuous learning. How do you, as, as a CEO, right, you have to stay on top of things all the time. You have to know the latest, the greatest. How do you learn? How do you do it every day? So, you know, I'm very disciplined about it. I set a quarterly learning agenda. And, you know, we're all really busy. And if if, if learning needs to be is strategic and important, then it needs to be treated as a business priority. And so I start with that myself. And I do that with my leadership team as well. So we get together in person once a quarter, and every part of that, every one of those leadership team meetings has a core learning component, because I also want to make sure I'm enabling the leadership team to have learning as a part of what we do as a team, because it's what they need to do, you know, and cascading it in the organization as well. Mm-hmm. What are some of your favorite places to go to, to look at content? I know you talked a little bit about how you do that for your employees around learning boards. I like that idea. Tell me what a learning board is. Well, and I use the learning boards myself. So as part of moving to an organization of continuous learning, we had to think about how people learn. And there's actually a lot of neuroscience around that and how they learn in shorter bursts and what and their preferences for learning. The millennials oftentimes like to learn in more like seven to 10 bytes rather than you know hour or classroom training for hours and hours. And so uh, we created, we have an incredible CHRO, and we created something called Learning Boards, which is 
curated content that's both external, so maybe the best TED talk on blockchain, right? And internal, so those may be, you know, three one-hour courses on artificial intelligence. It really covers everything from industry to functions and technologies. And to give you some sense of it, over the last two years, our employees have completed over 22 million learning activities using these learning boards. That's a whole lot of learning. And you do have a great CHRO, Ellen Shook. She's fantastic. So, okay, I want to go back to, you've been the CEO now for, has it been four years? Four years. Oh my gosh. Okay, before that, you were the general counsel at Accenture, and then before that, you were an attorney. How do you make a change at a pretty senior point in your career from being the general counsel of a large company to then moving to the CEO operating the business? Was that scary? It was exciting. I mean, by the time I did it, obviously, there wasn't, you know, it wasn't like I woke up one day and said, hey, I'd like to be CEO. Uh, so I'd say it was it was more exciting. Although, uh, you know, one of the things I talk about, uh, I don't know if I've ever told you this story, but uh, my, you know, we have a plaque on the wall in my mudroom that my husband put there. And uh, we always laugh about it because it's really ugly. Uh, and my husband really likes these certain kind of plaques, but he, he won in the end, so we put it on the wall. And it says, if your uh, dreams don't scare you, they're not big enough. And I, I really use that a lot with uh, with people I'm coaching as well. Like this idea of, you know, what is fear, right? And, and what does it mean? Rather than focusing on taking risk, it's right. It's more about, are you challenging yourself in your business? And if you're comfortable, right? you probably aren't doing either, right? Mm. And when you start thinking about that, instead of thinking about it as fear, which is very negative, or wait a minute, I'm taking risks, and instead you start thinking about, am I pushing myself and the organization far enough to achieve what they can achieve, right? Am I challenging? It's a very different take uh, than, than focusing on, I must take risks and fear. It's the same thing, it's the, you know, you still have a knot in your stomach, but it's a knot about challenging the organization and feeling like if you're not, then you're complacent and you're not moving forward. And the excitement of what could be, the potential. Exactly. Was this something that, that you said, hey, I'd be interested in doing this, or was this something where you were tapped on the shoulder and said, we've been thinking this would be a great opportunity for you? How did it happen? Well, it's funny, it, it really goes back to when I interviewed at Accenture. So I was a partner at a phenomenal law firm. I wasn't looking to leave. And I met our then CEO, Bill Green. And he said something to me that was really the reason I, I came to Accenture. He said, I'm not looking for a lawyer. I'm looking for a business leader with legal experience. And that was tremendously exciting for me. And so when I came to Accenture, my goal was to be a business leader, right, with legal experience. And so, yes, I was the general counsel, but the mental model I had was someone who was at the table and contributing to the business. And so as I think about the arc of my career um, here at Accenture, if you have that mentality, then the, the move from general counsel to CEO was not as big a move as you might otherwise think, because from day one, I focused on you know, learning the business and making a business impact using the tools that I have. One of the things I will often share with people doing career transitions, uh, because you know, the the I was still I was I was a lawyer, but going to be a general counsel is a different kind, uh, you know, of, of of practice, and I fundamentally had to learn the business. 
And there's a something I call the why rule. And the why rule I used when I was a, a young first year associate learning the law, where I would you know, be in a meeting and on a client call, and if I didn't understand why someone said something, I would make a note and I'd go back later and learn it. And it was an incredibly powerful way as a young person to accelerate my learning. And what I found when I came to Accenture, because remember my, my whole framework was I'm a business leader and therefore I must learn the business. So even at a very senior level, I used that same technique of the why rule, right? Mm -hmm. To really learn the business. And I think as people are making career transitions or role transitions, right? At Accenture, we do a lot of rotation and give people that next role is, um, is you know, one of the things I always say, it's, it's incredibly important to always understand where you fit in and why people are doing things around you. It, even at a very senior level, you know, you have to have that mentality. And of course, it's useful when you're a young person. I love that because that way of thinking, you, you can tap into potential in people that you may not, if if you're talking about this is your job and this is, I want you to do this job really, really well. Meanwhile, they have so many other gifts or potential that they can bring to the table. Absolutely, and, and we see from a talent perspective in a world where you have industry convergence, right? So you can't just have people grow in the industry, they need to understand more. They need to understand technology, which in fact has created platforms across and horizontals across industries. You know, this idea of having people with different experiences move around and bring those experiences is a really important part of talent development. And so how you enable that and you look at people's experience and then enable them to take the next role is important. These experiences have a great um, impact on us and, and, and they, they change and mold our mindset, our attitude, our actions. I've heard you mention that you think about your life in moments. Talk to me about that. What are, what are the moments that that come to mind for you? Well, it's because I, I think about one of the most important characteristics of leadership today is comfort with ambiguity and the ability to make decisions in the face of not having certainty, right? When you think about, you know, what the strategies that got companies to where they are, not the strategies that are going to take them to the next place. And when I look back, there was a very important moment when I was a young partner that really, um, it, I mean, I made the moment, but when I think about you know, what's important to, to lead in these times, I go back to that moment. I was a young partner and there was a client that you know, was a you know, very successful client facing a very difficult issue and they did not like the advice that this young partner gave them, myself. Mm -hmm. And uh, I remember because the CEO called the you know head of the firm and was complaining, <laughs> and uh, and I felt pretty strongly that it was the right advice, but it was but it was critical advice, and so I got the eight best partners in the firm in a room, and I carefully selected them so that I would have the most conservative and the least conservative. So you would really have because at any you know any professional services firm like you have different spectrum. And we got in a room and we hashed it out to really test the advice I'd given, no holds barred. In the end, we actually you know, decided that it was the right advice as hard as it was, but it was an important lesson in, you know, if, if you wanna lead in times of ambiguity when it's not clear, you have to be willing to challenge yourself and then make a decision. Right, and when you challenge yourself, you have to have teams around you that are not simply going to be, you know, your point of view, yeah. right? 
And I remember it was so important to actually, you know, to see how that played out in the room. And I knew I was the exact right decision to bring all of those people together and then, you know, have the courage behind the decision and to move forward, right? And so in today's world, where you are asking, we are all asking our leaders to make these decisions, having leaders that naturally are collaborative and look for teams and build teams around them with, with divergent points of view is critically important. That's a, a great example of diversity really getting you to a better result. Absolutely. Right? So you've had great successes. You have um, a wonderful family of two little girls. But you also have been through some tough times. Um, personally, you you um, you were impacted by breast cancer. Tell me when that happened and a little bit about that experience, because I, I can imagine that that had a huge impact. Yes, um, you know, it was about five years ago now, and I remember, uh, as you say, moments in your life, right? I had just come back from the World Economic Forum for the second time, and you know, and I was feeling great. I was like. Here I am. I'm at the World Economic Forum. I'm, you know, with the elite. I'm, you know, I'm, I'm operating at a whole different level. Yes. And uh, and then that week, I had a mammogram, my regularly scheduled mammogram, and they found something, and uh, turned out to be breast cancer. And it was one of those things where, uh, you know, first of all, it's always humbling, right? You just have to remember how, no matter how great life is and how wonderful, Phil, you know, these things are like these humbling moments of. There is uh, there are things beyond your control, right? Uh, but I took the time to really think about it as to you know did I have any regrets? I mean I was very lucky. I had stage zero. I ended up with a mastectomy, but I you know I was incredibly lucky, right? Uh, but cancer is a scary thing to go through. And at the time, I said you know I actually have no regrets. I felt good about the decisions I'd made over time in terms of balance with my family and my life. And coming out of that experience today, I, I use that test. You know, people always say, well, how do you keep it all? You have two kids, et cetera. And I, I say to myself, if tomorrow I was diagnosed with a life-threatening disease, would I still say I have no regrets? And sometimes when I ask that question, the answer is, no, I couldn't say that. And then I adjust. You make right? a change. And, uh, and so I've, I've learned to use it as a barometer, right, for, it's a really, it's a very clear test, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that one of the ways that, you know, every person has different choices and there's many that would not choose my life, like you travel too much, et cetera. Um, so, you know, it's hard to ever say, well, no, I would want to do that person's life. The only thing, I always say to so you have to decide what's important to you and do you have regrets, right? As opposed to judging it, you know, by somebody else's decisions. Yes. I think that's very powerful what you just said because, um, you know, I always feel like guilt is kind of a useless emotion um, unless you do something about it, right? And so I, I love how you, um, first of all, you're very fortunate to be able to go through something like that and know you're living the life you wanna be living, that's amazing. And I think that that's really phenomenal advice. Thanks for sharing that story. So I wanna talk a little bit about your upbringing. You grew up in California. Your dad went to high school, didn't graduate. Your mom, I think, got her degree soon before you got your degree close to. Yeah, that's right. right. She, was, uh, she graduated from college when I was a freshman. That's pretty amazing. Yeah. So tell me a little bit about what you remember and what you took with you in your upbringing that maybe led you to the path that, that you chose. Well, I was incredibly lucky. I have phenomenal parents. And, you know, they have a really strong work ethic. And 
pretty much every day of my life, they said, if you work hard, you can be anything, right? And so they they did not feel like we were confined because, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and we didn't have, you know, the background that, you know, many of other kids did. And that's very empowering. But even more empowering is when you see your parents, you know, treat their life that way and and succeed, right? So I remember my parents decided that they wanted to have a better life and a retirement that one of them had to go to school. And my dad would have liked to have done that, but he had, you know, three kids and he had a, you know, good job. He painted cars for a living. And so they decided it would be my mom. And, you know, my mom was incredible. She, you know, worked part-time, went to school, and she would literally come home at night and sew clothes for me. Because when I was in um, high school, my sister and I did speech and debate and we didn't have the money to buy suits and you had to wear suits and so she would like be staying up and being a seamstress at night and then my dad it wasn't like he just sat there and said you know okay it's all on my mom like he changed because my mom used to be a stay-at-home mom so you know he um, started cooking for example and that was you know kind of early disasters but you know he took on more and so as children we watched our parents live what they preached right that if you worked hard you could be anything and they made a better life and my mother graduated from college right and built um, a better life and and you know so you take that that encouragement but also that example you know with us I love that and and you're clearly setting a, a similar example um, for your two girls who I know you love so so very much you are on the business roundtable and uh, tell us a little bit about what is the business roundtable. Sure. So the business roundtable it's around 200 of the largest companies uh, in the country, and they come together uh, to really advocate for policies uh, that support you know U.S. competitiveness, business, and you know making sure that we don't leave any American behind, uh, and also to share best practices. So, for example, if you go to the website, there's some you know great and powerful stories about what each of us are doing on inclusion and diversity, and what each of us are doing on you know workforce training. So, Julie, let's talk a little bit about you as a leader. You have a really a diverse background. You've done a lot of different things. Um, and you've worked probably for a lot of different leaders. Talk to me a little bit about your leadership palette, kind of what defines you as a leader? What's important to you? Well, one of the things that I think is really important is being a good communicator. And, uh, you know, people talk about when I became CEO four years ago that I quote unquote banned the memo. And now in reality, we still have a few memos, <laughs> but uh, I started using video and, it, and, and communicating, um, not using memos. So when a new policy was announced, for example, instead of saying, here's the policy, I did a video about why did we, you know, why did we uh, provide, you know, longer parental leave and what was behind that. And the reason it was so important is that if you're trying to be a digital company, right? And we were, we were, in, we were uh, still really in the thick of rotating our business to digital cloud and security. And then the way you communicate to your people feels like it's been that way for the last 50 years, right? It's a mixed message between leadership and, and your strategy. And I give that example because I think oftentimes companies underestimate the power of communication. People will say you have to communicate, 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 but it's really how you communicate, right? So if you want to have people be continuous learners, if you want people to embrace digital and everything you do is is old school, right? They're not gonna believe that in fact, that's where the company's going. And similarly, there's so much disruption going on now, right? People are having to change, get used to using different tools 
And you really have to be able to bring people along on a journey, to tell a story, to inspire people. And so as you think about leaders, you know, one of the things a lot of CEOs are talking to me about, like, you know, where should we start? One of the things I first focus on is, you know, do you have, you know, start in the business unit where the leader is, first of all, has an innovation mindset, so wants to do things differently, and is a good communicator, because if you want to be disruptive and change your business model, you have to bring your people along. Right. Um, communication, I think, is is a really important trait for the reasons you just talked about. But that's something that you have to work on, right? Being a good communicator, some people that doesn't come naturally to, and some people it does. Is that important for people? I mean, aside from being a leader, is that something important for people earlier in their careers to, to be able to focus on? I think it's really important. Jenny, right? you really nailed it. And I and one of the reasons I wanted to talk about it is because I think not enough people talk about it. And you know, it is something from the beginning. I always tell young people that if you want to accelerate your career, become a better communicator because and do it in the way you do email, the way you do write emo, memos, the way you do PowerPoint, how you speak in a meeting. Because those who have those kinds of skills, they do get ahead, you know, farther and faster, yes. right? And then it's it continues to be important. So it's something that I work on, you know, every year, right? And earlier in my career as a CEO, I, I was like sort of every year having a clear agenda around this. This is now something that, you know, I just always am working on and trying to be better. But you do have to be discipline and it's different like you know when you're a young if you're a young person you're not going on tv right now i go on tv right so mm -hmm. there's different skill sets as you go through your career but it is something that you need to work on and so it's important to get ahead in your career uh, and it's also important to be an effective business leader what what are some of the best ways to learn to if, if you're not naturally a great communicator public speaker what would you suggest great ways to learn that might be. So there's a few things. So there's a, a book that I recommend to everyone. Uh, it's called Weekend Language by Andy Craig. It is widely read at Accenture. We use Andy as a coach for storytelling. It's a short book. It's incredible. It really teaches business leaders how to tell stories. So that's just a very practical, I like that. you know, go by weekend language. Second is uh, I, I tell people to look for good communicators. People have different styles, so it's not, you know, my style is going to be, you know, different than your style. Then there's lots of different effective yeah. ways to communicate. And so one of the important things is to look at leaders you admire and actually watch how they communicate. And I think you, and I actually did this earlier on in my career where I looked externally, but also internally, right? So when I was a, a young lawyer, for example, I became a student for the different kinds of partners I worked with and how did they communicate and what was effective and what wasn't. And then honed my own style because you do have to have your own style. But to become a good communicator, you need to become a student of other good communicators. Yes, and you have to practice. And that's 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 the hard thing is it's not like you can, you can study for a long, long time and then after all the studying, you're gonna be the perfect communicator. You have to practice. Absolutely. And uh, you know, I still remember my first speech at Accenture. And normally I memorize everything. That's just my thing. I never used like to use notes, but I, I still remember stumbling through trying to like read this speech to these people that I didn't really know. And I said to myself, never again. You've got to practice, mm -hmm. right? And uh, and it was like, you know, when you think about those moments, I could still see myself standing at the podium going, I did not prepare enough. Right. And it gets in the way of your ability to be authentic. Absolutely. 
So I find you to be a very um, approachable, authentic, um, kind person, in addition to being a really talented, smart businesswoman. How important is that kind of approachability? And, and, and even at times almost an informality um, when you're leading a large organization. Is that more important today? Well, thank you, first of all. Of so I appreciate it. I uh, always appreciate your thoughts on how I lead. But um, so if you think about the importance of authenticity, I don't think there's ever been a time when it hasn't been important. I think the difference, particularly in large organizations, is that there are different communication tools now. And so authentic leaders inspire more from their people. And if you are an authentic leader and you work on your communication, you can use tools like videos and webcasts to reach more people. And that was my goal when I came in because you know, there were 55,000 people in North America, many of whom didn't know me, and there was no way I could get to all of them. And right. so I think authenticity has always been important, but today you have the ability to actually marry it with technology and reach more people. That's a great point. Look, people can sniff out somebody who is not authentic. And if you're not authentic, you're right, it doesn't translate on all those different mediums by which you can communicate. And I think those who have that authenticity, which you do, you can reach a lot of people in new ways. And they and they can remember how you made them feel, right? As Maya Angelou said, you might not always remember exactly what, what they said, but you'll remember how they made you feel. Julie, sometimes as leaders, the littlest things can have an impact. And I, I tell folks on my team many times, never underestimate the impact that your words or your actions, just the slightest thing can have on other people because people are watching. Do you believe that? I absolutely do. And you know, there was a an actual, a, a complete turning point in my life that came from someone through a conversation one night. You know, so I was a high school student uh, I had won a scholarship from the Irvine Company, and I went to the dinner, and I sat next to a man named ha Howard Margulius, and he asked me, you know, the usual questions you ask someone graduating from high school, what are you going to study? And I said, international relations, and he said, what language? And I said, well, I studied French in high school, but it's kind of boring. And then he said three words that literally changed my life. He said, how about Chinese? Now this was in 1985 when no one studied Chinese. If they studied an Asian language, it was Japan. So it was completely out of the box thinking. He spent the night talking to me about China and the promise of China. And I went home that evening and I said to my parents who didn't have a passport, we'd been to Tijuana and Canada. Okay, that was the entire, you know, <laughs> that was your of our travel, right? And I said, I am gonna go, so I'm gonna study Chinese at college and I'm gonna go study abroad for a year. And my parents were like, okay, <laughs> you know, that's nice. And you know, when I look back at that, you know, I, I always am very careful whenever I go to a dinner or have an opportunity to, you know, meet one of our apprentices or, you know, a, a student intern, because what you say literally can change someone's life. You know, when I studied Chinese, I spent time abroad, it completely changed my world perspective. It opened doors for me because, you know, people were like, wow, you studied in China, how did you do that? And it all went back to literally a single moment in time. And I think it's really important as leaders to understand that kind of impact and to um, and to use it, right? Because 
you know, we, we all want to mentor more people than we can possibly mentor. But these moments that we spend, you know, with the, you know, the young, you know, the young people in our workplace or going to a gala that really can matter. Great leaders have typically managed through tough times or through a crisis. Has that ever happened to you? You know, I've, I've been I've been at this job uh, as CEO for four years and been a professional for 26. So I've had a few crises along the way. And I will tell you that, you know, I always think about this very important piece of advice I got early on when I was, you know, a young partner. And uh, this person said, leaders are not there to put more stress into the system. Leaders are not there to put more stress into the system. And it's really a message about as a leader in a time of crisis, this is not the time when you're, you know, yelling at people, where you're, you know, saying, "Oh my God," and you know, causing lots of turmoil. It's the time to be calm, to be objective, right, and to recognize that everyone is taking their cue from you. And no matter how bad the crisis is, it's never better if people feel some sense of, you know, freneticism or, you know, out being out of control. And so as a leader, the most important thing you can do is to put calm into the system and to have people believe that you believe we can work through it. So well said. Things are never as bad as as they seem. And I think that as a leader, the best gift you can give your people is to always keep it smooth and steady, right? It's almost like they, they can never tell how good it is or how bad it is. And I think that that's a sign of a true leader and you model that. Julie, I wanna close with some a lightning round. Lightning okay. round, I'm gonna ask you some questions. We're gonna learn a little I bit more about these, you. Yes, okay. Yeah, you didn't get them beforehand. <laughs> okay, good. So I'm, gonna, I'm just going right. for it. Okay, what is a habit that most people don't know about you that you have? I like my iced tea with no lemon and one Splenda. That's very particular. Okay. Is there a typical day for you? No. Favorite restaurant locally where you live? You live in you live in the DC area. What's your favorite place to go there? Pasa Thai, a great Thai restaurant in McLean. Okay. Best place that you like to go when you travel in terms of vacation or if you could go anywhere for a week to just chill out, where would you go? Any place warm. Okay. That's that's easy. That's a good one. What is the one thing that you bring with you when you travel? My daughter uh, buys me fuzzy socks and I always carry them because first of all, my feet get cold, but they make me smile. They're always like they have polka dots and you know, there's you know one with smiley faces. So I always pack a pair of these soft fuzzy socks that my daughter picks out for me. So you've had an incredible journey and you're an amazing mother and role model to two young ladies. What makes you most excited or most hopeful for what's next for them? You know, we spend, and I know, Jen, this is a passion of yours as well. You know, both of us spend a lot of our time in our workplaces and in our community around inclusion and diversity. Mm -hmm. And some days it feels like hard work. And then I go home and I talk to my daughters and I see my daughter's friends, which are really diverse, and I hear them talking about LGBTQ, and I hear them questioning, Mom, why would anybody think this or that? And I realize that we have this generation that's coming, right, where I really truly believe that it won't be as hard. 
That's a great answer. Julie, thank you for spending time with me today. I learned even more about you, which was great. And I look forward to watching where your journey takes you next. Thanks for your friendship. Thanks. Uh, Same here, Jen. It's always fun to be together. Hey team, this is Jennifer Morgan. You've been listening to A Call to Lead. I hope you have really liked this podcast, but I wanna hear from you because leadership is always about getting better. So you guys can give me your ratings, your reviews, and tell me what you like and how we can make it better for you and more useful. We'll make sure we do it. Who do you wanna hear from? Tell us. And I hope to see you next time on A Call to Lead.